I want to continue on a little bit from last week. Uh, who can remember the main gist of what we talked about last week? We, had, we started with some pictures on the screens there of uh, uh, the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeti and the Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And the Canadians, Sasquatch is a cooler name. Canadians do it better than... Canadians do myths better than Americans do. Bigfoot, it's basic Sasquatch. Now, that's cool. But um, we, we debunked a few... Myths, I guess, that, that can have a tendency to creep into our Christian experience. And that is the myth of the super-Christian. That is the myth that when we come to Christ, that all of our worries are gone, all of our troubles are gone. If you weren't here last week, jump on, um, go into your iTunes and type in Arise Church. And then on the right, tick podcast and you'll go to our podcast and you can have a listen to that. Um, I feel like it's scratched a bit of an itch, the feedback I've been getting this week from people. It's, it's obviously... Uh, I'm not the only person that thinks about these things. Uh, but I think a lot of us think about these things. And a lot of us think seriously about our faith and what it means to be a Christian today and what are the implications and what, what, you know, what, what do we ideally, idealistically wish that were the implications and what actually are. Uh, what is our existence like this side of planet Earth? <coughs> and we looked at a few people. We looked at Moses and Moses got himself to a point uh, where he actually at one point prayed and said to God, if you're not going to change the situation, take me. I mean, that's a low emotional place for a human being to be in. We looked at Paul in the New Testament where Paul said we actually had the sentence of death within us. We, 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 we were, were wanting to check out of life itself because of the pressure and the stress and everything that was coming against us. And we focused on the story of Elijah. And I want to go back and look a little bit at that today. You can read about Elijah, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, 19, around there. If you read those, those chapters, you'll get a, a good idea of who this man was and what this man went through. And Elijah got to a point where he sat under a tree and he actually prayed and said, God, that's enough. I actually can't do this anymore. And he actually asked God to take his life, to take him from this planet and to, to take him beyond. And, and, you know, when I look at that, and I look at people like Elijah and Moses and Paul, and they're not the only ones in the Bible, Job, there are other people that got to those places in life where they, they cried out to God and then literally said, I just want to give up. I can't do this anymore. This is beyond me. The pressure is too much. The stress is too much. There are people of that caliber that have gone through that. When I see that, I get encouraged because I go, well, maybe I'm not as abnormal as I think I am. Maybe I am, but... In that degree, maybe I'm not as abnormal as I think I am. And if any of us have had any amount of time breathing on planet Earth, I'm sure that we can all relate to those pictures. We've all had those difficult moments. We've all had those times where the pressure just felt like it was too much. And I think sometimes we keep that stuff bottled up and we keep it to ourselves because we feel like, as a believer, with Jesus inside of me, I shouldn't feel like this. But the reality is we still do. Even the most holy, the most righteous, whatever terminology you want to use of us, still have those moments because we still live on planet Earth and we still have emotions. We're still emotional beings and we're still real. And when I came to Christ, my whole world was changed on the one hand, but on the other hand, a lot of things remained the same. I just had to learn a new set of skills how to deal with those things how to walk those things out in my earthly existence here. So we've been talking about that last week. And as I said, I've got a lot of feedback. So I thought, well, I'm going to continue on with that. But I want to get a little bit more practical this week. We all find ourselves in those situations. When we find ourselves in those situations, what do we do? What are some practical things we can do to help us, to put us in the right position to be able to come out 
the other end. You know, it says in Psalm, I think it's 23, it says, don't I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death is there. It's around us. And we find ourselves in it at times, but the encouragement of the word of God is that we walk through it. So what do we do while we're in it in order to give us the strength and put us in the best position to be able to come out the other side and actually walk through it? So I want to talk about a few of those things this morning. You know, I bumped into a friend of mine. I've known him for a number of years now. I went shopping down at Aldi's this week to to buy some groceries. And I bumped into this gentleman, this friend of mine. I hadn't seen him for a while. We got chatting and at the end of our conversation, I went my way and he went his and I got my, uh, I think it was chicken or whatever it is I was, I was getting. I was um, going to go home and cook dinner and I walked out to my car and as I'm opening the door of my car, I hear this voice across the other side of the car park, Alan. And I turned around and it was him. And he came running over to where the trolley bay is and he put his big box of groceries down and just left it sitting there and the trolley bay came running over to me. And he, began to, he said to me, look, would you pray for me, please? And this guy's... I don't want to say he's not a believer. I don't know where people's hearts are before the Lord. But for all, uh, I guess, of what I know of him, he doesn't walk close to God. He's, he says to me, will you pray for me? I said, no worries. Said, what, what, what can I pray for you for? And he said, my mother. He said, I just found out this morning my mother's dying. My mother's about to pass away. And he shared the story with me, and he's standing there, and he's, he's starting to weep while we're talking in the car park. And I said, yeah, no worries. Let's pray for her, and we'll pray for you, and pray for your brother. It's, it's a traumatic time. A lot of emotions and things go on. He said, I'm at peace with it. He said, because the relationship is good and we knew this was coming. We've had a long time. And, and she's a, his, his mother, he said, my mum's right with God. She's, she knows God and, and I don't know her. But he said, yep, she, she's going to the right place. I'm confident of that. And then he begins to say to me how, uh, you might already know this, Al, but I, I left my wife. I said, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wonderful, really, really nice guy. Wonderful, really, really nice woman. Great kids, really nice family. Bit of a shock when I heard that this had taken place. So he begins to share this story with me about how, you know, he said for her it was a shock because I just one day uh, said, look, I'm out. And he said, obviously my wife is angry and mad at me and so on because she didn't see this coming. But he said, I, for three years, he said, I wrestled with this on the inside. I had all these things going on, these thoughts and stuff. So this, this for me, by the time I got to that point, I had three years of processing. She had one moment to process. And as he talked about it, and I tried to ask him questions, you know, so, so what were the things? What was going on? And, and, and we had a little bit of a conversation there. I didn't want to push him too hard standing in a car park with everybody around. And I was very gentle. You just tell me what you want, none of my business. And anyway, he's going to give me a call and we're going to have a bit more of a chat about it. I tried to encourage him if you can at least process what's gone on so you can maybe not make those same mistakes and those same patterns down the track. He was adamant that it was over and there was no reconciliation possible in his eyes. He had no interest in that. But the more I talked to him, it reminded me again of the story of Elijah. You know, you know, it says that Elijah ran for his life. We go back and read the story, and he's just had this big victory on Mount Carmel, killed all these prophets of Baal. God showed himself to be strong. The greatest revival in the history of humankind took place right there in the Bible. First Kings chapter 19, I think it is. You read about it. And he's coming off this high, and next thing Jezebel hears about it. And she says, right, by the time the sun goes down today, I'm going to do to you exactly what you did to those prophets. And he panics. And the Bible says that he runs for his life. But when you read the story, you realise he's not running for his life. He's actually running from his life. He's running from his life. And that's exactly what I heard this guy saying to me this week standing in the car park. He's telling me about his life and he was running from it. And all I kept thinking was, if you, you can't run from your life. You still take yourself to wherever it is the next place that you go. It's still you that goes there. It's still you. So you've got to process those things and think about those things. But I thought, here's another person. 
And we live in a society where people do it all the time. They run from their life. They think if I just move from here to here, then everything will change. I can become a different person. Now you'll be the same person here as what you were over here. So we don't want to run from our lives. We don't want to run from those difficult situations. And we get to those moments, all of us, where we do want to do that. I know I do. I get to moments in my life where I go, you know what, I don't want to stand in the middle of this anymore and process and work it out because I literally don't think I can make it through this one. So it'd be so much easier just to check out. And unfortunately, we live in a country where people are checking out the wrong way too often, particularly men in our country. They're getting to a place where they're going, I can't handle this anymore. I can't deal with the stress. I can't deal with the emotional factors involved. And I can't see any other ways out. And so they're taking their own lives. It's, it's, a, it's a travesty. It's terrible. So what I want to talk about today is just some practical things that I see in this story of Elijah. Some practical things that maybe it might help you going forward if you find yourself in one of those emotional moments. Give you a bit of strength or a couple of key things to hang on to to maintain. Or maybe you might be able to take some of this stuff and and help somebody else if they're going through one of those moments as well. I'm not saying it's the answer to everything, but I'm just saying I think the Bible gives us some practical stuff as much as it gives us the spiritual stuff as well. So what do we do when we find ourselves wanting to run from our life? What do we do when we find ourselves in those moments? First thing we do is we need to stay connected. First Kings chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. I'm going to do the unthinkable here. People don't laugh. I can't, I, I can't do it anymore. Usually what I do is I, I, my arms aren't long enough anymore to get far enough away. So there we go. They're on now. Everyone seen it? Bang. It's over with. First Kings 19, verse 3 and 4, it says this. It says, And when he saw that, when he heard what Jezebel had said, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He's running along with his servant. He gets to a point and he drops the servant off and he goes, I'm going to do this by myself. You know, when we get in those moments, we need to make an effort to stay connected to other people. We don't want to isolate ourselves from people like Elijah did. The Bible says he went a certain distance with his servant and he dropped his servant off. He dropped that person off. And sometimes we can be like that. We'll go a certain distance with somebody with an issue or a, or a hassle or a stress or something. We open up to a point and then we go, that's it, no more. And we drop them and we try to move on and process it ourselves. We're not created to process life and all this stuff as individuals by ourselves. We were not created in isolation. How many of you believe that? You have a much greater chance of success of coming out of that darkness, of coming out of that place, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, if you'll stay connected to other people, resist the urge to isolate yourself from people. And it takes work and it takes effort, but it's worth it in the end. One of the worst things we can do is isolate ourselves. I was reading a bunch of uh, uh, science and medical journals uh, this week, just thinking about this whole issue of isolation. I found out a few things, and you can, you can uh, jump online and check out medical journals and so on, and the points I'm about to give you are pretty across the board. Just about everybody says, yep, these are side effects of isolation. And it says that people who isolate themselves from others generally die prematurely. Just by not having contact with people, you can push forward your expiry date. Just by cutting yourself off from other people. This is the impact that isolation can have upon us because we weren't created to live in isolation by ourselves. We need each other. We need each other. I need you. I need you. I mean, I want you as well. You're great people. But you know what? I need you to make it through. The time that God has given me here on planet, I need you around me. 
I need your input. I need your prayers. I need your conversation. You know, I need to, to have fellowship with other people. It's part of the way that we are created. Remember in the beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Now, if God thinks something's not good, he knows a bit more than we do. It might have taken us 2,000 years of science and stuff to work it out and catch up to where God's at, but God said right at the beginning, it's not good. It's not good to be alone. So we need to resist the urge to isolate ourselves when we're going through these difficult times, when we're going through these difficult moments. You know what I've found when I've gone through really hard times? Just sitting down talking to somebody, usually what happens is this. They might, I might know that that person is not even going to be able to help me. But as I'm talking, it's amazing what begins to come out of your own mouth about your own situation and your own life. Quite often I feel like I want to pay myself for the great therapy I gave myself while you sat there. It's amazing stuff that happens just by talking to somebody else, you know? And they just sit there, huh? Oh, thanks for that. That was amazing, Rob. Like, okay, yeah. I just sat here and stared at you, but no worries. Check, please. People who isolate themselves, their immune function is impaired. They recover slower from injuries and sicknesses. This is the impact it has on their bodies. There's increased inflammation in the physical bodies of people that isolate themselves. Some of the leading problems that are caused by this are arthritis, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. It's amazing. Your body, your physical body reacts to isolation. Isn't that amazing? I think when God said it's not good to be alone, he wasn't just saying, oh, you'll be lonely. He knew. He knew something that we didn't know. It's not good to be alone. Anyone read the stories um, of the African babies? There's a, 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 a ministry and uh, a hospital somewhere in Africa, and they take these babies that are born HIV positive. Anyone read this story? They take these babies that are born HIV positive, and all they do is they put that baby in contact with a, a mother. When I say contact, I mean physical contact. The mother hugs the baby, talks to the baby. And they found that the, that the HIV bug has disappeared from the system of these children who have simply had human contact and love from the minute they came out of the womb. Isn't that amazing? If isolation can decrease your immune system, then it makes sense that contact can increase it. Social contact and social uh, uh, interaction can literally increase the health and well-being in your body. Don't isolate ourselves. Mark chapter 14. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 34 says this. It says, When they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed, and he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Now, Jesus himself, the Son of God, had to get it out to somebody. He had to get it out. He didn't just go, well, I'm the Son of God, I don't need to talk to you. I know it's going to happen, I know how it's going to end, I'll just go through this. He said, you know what, I need to tell you something, Rob. I know I'm going to die for your sins. I know I, am so, I, know I can raise the dead, I know I can't. I know I can open blinded eyes. I know. You've been there. You saw me do it. I know I'm incredibly intelligent with theology because these Pharisees look like idiots. Every time they open their mouth, I slap them in the face with a fish. I'm all over them. You know I can multiply food. You know all that. But I want to tell you something. I'm really struggling right now. I'm really struggling. I'm struggling to the point of death. 
If Jesus, our Saviour and Lord, had to talk to somebody about the issues of his heart, what he was going through, let me tell you something, I'm not above it. I'm not above it. And I don't think anybody in this room should be. We need to talk. We need to get stuff out. And when we isolate ourselves from people, that doesn't happen. Okay? Particularly men in this room, let me encourage you. There's nothing macho about being quiet. It's a complete lie of the devil. It's a lie of the enemy. And unfortunately, our culture has bought into it as Australians. We feel like it's weak as Aussie men to talk to people about stuff. And I want to debunk that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And it's the reason why we have such high statistics globally of males taking their own life in our country. It needs to stop somewhere. We need each other. Stay connected. Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. So if we want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we want to come out the other end. Point number one, stay connected. Number two, maintain your rhythm. Blame it on sunshine. I'm not talking about that rhythm, all right? Some of you have got that and some of you don't. 1 Kings 19, verse 5 and 7 says this. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. You know, you have a rhythm in life. There's a certain rhythm that you have. We all have it. We all go to bed and sleep. We all wake up, we, 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 we have breakfast, whatever. We, we have a, a rhythm of work. We have a rhythm of life, something that we would call it routine. Some people say routine is boring. Routine and rhythm are necessary. Routine and rhythm are necessary. They give us a, 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 a focal sort of point for the movements of our life, for the movements of our day, for the function of our existence. Maintain your rhythm. The Bible says here that Elijah, when he prayed, he said, God, take my life, he fell asleep. And I love what God did. God held the angels back and said, let him sleep. He needs to sleep. You need rest, people. You need rest. And then God tapped him and said, right, you need to get up now. And you need to eat. Here's some food. And he had the food and he had some water. And the Bible says he went back to sleep again. And God said, now, angels, let him sleep. There's a rhythm about life. He let him sleep. He let him, woke him up. Have a feed, have some drink, go back to bed, wake up. How many of you ever seen those movies? And we see them all the time. And, and the person goes through a really traumatic time in life. And then two weeks later, somebody knocks on the door. And their life was all in order and perfect. And, and you open up the door and there's, there's, there's empty pizza boxes everywhere. You ever seen those films? They're a dime a dozen. The guy's got a beard like this. It somehow grew in 14 days. He's rubbing manure on his face or something. It doesn't happen like that. But he's got this big bushy beard here. His hair's everywhere. He doesn't bother brushing his, washing his hair anymore. You know? You go into the kitchen and there's just coffee cups and junk everywhere. He doesn't even clean his house anymore. The rhythm's gone. You know? Work's ringing him up, but he won't answer his phone. He's not going to work. That's why somebody's knocking on the door. Are you okay? And one of the first things that goes when we get in those moments is that we want to let go of that natural rhythm and get consumed with whatever the situation is. It's important that we maintain our natural rhythms of life. It's important that we maintain healthy sleeping habits. You know, there's a whole science on sleep and how much sleep your body needs in order to be at its peak to deal with the issues of life. You need to make sure that you maintain those rhythms of eating healthy, eating regularly. Maintain those rhythms of keeping your, your fluids up, your water, hydrating yourself. Maintain your rhythm of work. Do your cleaning. 
go to work, whatever it is that you do, maintain those rhythms in the midst of those dark places. Try to the best of your ability with all the strength you've got to maintain healthy rhythms of life. Continue to pray. Some of us, we get in those moments where we just don't want to pray anymore. Hey, continue to pray. Continue to read your Bible. Continue to come to church. We want to pull ourselves away and I just don't want to go. You don't know what I'm going. Continue to maintain the rhythms of life. I was looking uh, this morning, uh, sorry, earlier this week at the fall of Adam and Eve. And it's really, really interesting. It didn't, I've never seen it before until I read it this time. You know, God made sure that in that really, really dire emotional state that Adam and Eve maintained their rhythm. Go to, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. This is after they've fallen. Now, I want you to imagine this, by the way. I don't think you can emotionally get any lower than this moment. I want you to imagine it. Adam and Eve, you're created by God. He's walking in the garden with you. He's lo- you're loving life. You get deceived and God says, you're out of here. This is the only place you've ever known. The only place you've ever known is in this garden. It's your whole life. It's your whole existence. And all of a sudden, God says, you're out of here and puts two flaming swords in front. He's so serious about you're not coming back in here. I think that's an emotionally charged moment in human history. And here's what God says when he kicks them out. He says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. By thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. In other words... You're going through this moment here, but I'm smart enough to know I've created you to have a rhythm. So I'm going to make sure you're still going to eat. You're still going to work. You're still going to sweat on your brow. You're still going to rest. You're still going to have night and day. You're still going to be sleeping and waking up. He said, I'm not going to take the natural rhythm away from you because you need that natural rhythm of life. If it was important enough for God to go, the whole world has changed when they fell, but I'm going to make sure that humanity maintains a rhythm then I think it's important that we try to maintain the healthy rhythms of our life when we go through those emotional times and moments as well. Third thing. First thing, stay connected. Second, maintain your rhythm. Number three, change the lens. Change your lens. How many of you know that we look at life through a certain set of glasses? We look at life through a certain camera angle. How many of you know that the way I see things is not the only way that things can be seen? The way you see things is not the only way things can be seen. Sorry, Jackie, you're right. I'm, if, she's frowning at me here going, what? You're kidding. No, I'm serious. Safety in numbers. Told you I was right. The way that you see things is not the only way that things can be seen. You know what I've learned in my life? Problems themselves are really problems. It's the perspective, it's the problem. The situation is really not always the problem. It's the way I'm looking at the situation that ends up being the problem. In Elijah's case, we follow the story along. Elijah ends up standing before God on top of a mountain. And God says, what are you doing here? And he goes on and he says this. He says, look, the nation's fallen apart. Jezebel's going to kill me and I'm the only one. I'm the only one left that's worshipping you, God. I'm the only one. You know what? That's the perspective he started out with right from the start. He's been thinking about this all this time, running, saying, God, take my life, sleeping, waking up, eating, going on a journey up to the mountain. We've got the whole thing. And the whole time he's got this camera angle that's saying, I'm the only person left that loves God. And he gets up there and God goes, let me just give you a little bit of information. I've preserved 7,000 others. 
you're 7,001. And this whole time he's thinking, I'm the only one God. He's looking at it from a certain angle and God comes and changes the lens. He changes the camera angle a little bit and goes, I'll give you another perspective. Now how does it look? Now that you know you're not one, you're 7,001, now what's it look like? How different does life look to you now when you flick that switch and you change that lens a little bit? When we're in those situations, those emotionally charged moments, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, here's the thing. We tend to magnify the negative. It gets magnified because it's what we're staring at. And you know what? We're not just staring at it. We're actually wearing magnifying glasses as a fashion accessory. Putting them on and everything looks really, really big. Take a step back for a moment. Look at that situation. Think about the possibility that there could be other camera angles. What are those other angles? What are the other options? What are some other ways to look at these situations? What are some other ways to approach what I'm looking at? Perspective determines what you see, and what you see is going to determine how you act. Elijah saw, I'm the only one left, and as a result of that, he bolted. He ran. He took off in fear, got to the point where he just wanted his life to end. And he goes through this process and God says, man, you're not the only one. Come on. You're not the only one. You know, there are 7 billion, officially, there are now over 7 billion people on planet Earth. Over 7 billion people. I like that because whenever I'm going through something that's really, really difficult, I sit back and go, what are the chances that there's somebody else out there going through something similar? Or am I the only one in 7 billion people that's got a difficult thing going on in my life right now? Am I the only person struggling with this? Am I the only one who's ever struggled with this? Am I the only person? Chances are I'm not. Try to change the way we look at things. Philippians 4.8 says this. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate or think about these things. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, without getting theological and digging deep into those two verses, what do they tell me? They tell me that I can control this. They tell me that I have a choice over what I think. And I have a choice over what perspective and angle I come from in the situations of life. I'm not a prisoner. I'm not a prisoner. I can make a choice, as difficult as it may be, to try to look at things from another lens, look at things from another angle. Again, that's one of the great reasons to stay connected because other people have different perspectives. Other people can bring a different camera angle to you even when you can't find one. Other people can help you. Other people can help you. Remember the 12 spies that went out to spy out the land of Canaan? 12 of them, they all went out, they all saw the same thing. 10 of them came back and said, we can't do this. Caleb and Joshua said, well, hang on a second. We saw the same thing as you, but we saw it from a different lens. We saw it from a different perspective. We saw it from a different angle. Ten of them were defeated by what they saw and these two guys made it through. They came out the other end. It was a difficult time. They wandered around for a long time while everybody else died left, right and centre. But they made it through because they found a different lens, a different angle and a different way to look at it. So when we find ourselves going through those moments, number one, stay connected. Number two, maintain your rhythm. Number three, change the lens. Number four, try to follow facts. Follow facts. How many of you know that when you get an emotionally charged situation, your emotions get involved, it's easy to put facts over on a shelf. 
It's easy to allow your feelings to dictate and determine what your actions will be, what you will say, how you will respond. And we put facts over here on the shelf and we take our eyes off facts. We need to remember in those moments, stop, have a look at the facts. The facts were Elijah had no idea that he was the only person. It was just a silly assumption on his behalf. As a matter of fact, what makes it worse is if you go back to 1 Kings 18, he has a chat, a conversation with this other prophet by the name of Obadiah who was there. Obadiah was a prophet just like Elijah, but Obadiah had stayed in relationship with Ahab and Jezebel. And what Obadiah had done is that he had taken 100 prophets and he hid them in caves. You can read about it, 1 Kings 8. He hid them in caves. And the Bible says that he hid a 100 prophets from Ahab and Jezebel, and he fed them daily. Every day, not only has he got these guys being hidden, but every day he's sneaking food out of the cupboards and running wheat bix and stuff out to the caves and then coming back and doing his duty with Ahab and then stealing some Sanger's flunch and giving them egg and lettuce and then running. He's feeding a 100 people. There were more prophets out there. It's all through the word of God. But he convinced that he was the only person. What facts did he have? It was feelings. I feel like I'm the only one. Maybe if he had taken a step back and gone, hang on a second, let's push the feelings aside for a second. Let me think about this. Well, I know, I know Obadiah's there. I've had conversations with him. He's a prophet. There's at least one more. And let's connect with Obadiah and let's talk about it. Let Obadiah go, I'll tell you a secret. I've got another hundred hidden in the caves up there. Okay, now there's 102 of us. You see how feelings, we run off on feelings, we just magnify situations and we get ourselves in trouble. We need to follow facts. Look for the facts in any situation that you find yourself on. Here's the thing. Feelings are like a temperature gauge in your car. How many of you take directions from your temperature gauge? Anybody look at their temperature gauge to see where to go? You'd be driving in circles because it always points the same way. You're just going around like this. Feelings are like a temperature gauge. They let us know kind of how we're travelling, but they don't tell us where to travel. They tell us how we're travelling, but don't let them tell you where to travel. That's what facts do. Keep our eyes on facts. I've shared the story many times that Watchman Nee used to share about facts, faith and feeling, walking along the top of a fence like this, a really thin fence. And you've got fact down in front. And he's got faith in the middle and he's got feelings at the back. And as long as, as faith kept its eyes forward on fact, it walked along the fence like this. But every time that, that fact turned away and looked at feelings, he'll fall off the fence. Feelings follow fact, not the other way around. So when you're in those moments, try to gather the facts. What are the facts? I think the world hates me. Well, hang on, what are the facts? What are the facts? Let's have a look at the facts. Why do you think... Well, hang on, not everybody hates you, you know. Your wife gave me a kiss before she went to work this morning. The kids said, I love you, Dad, before they went to school. Somebody rang you up today and said, you know, good. Thanks for helping me out. Stick with the facts. Number five, resist comparisons. When we're going through those moments, it's easy to compare ourselves with other people as well. One of the things that Elijah said when he laid down to pray that God would take him, he said, I'm no better than my father's. Now, theologians don't exactly know what he meant by that, but the best guess is he's looking back to Israel and his forefathers who love you, God, hate you, God, love you, God, hate you, God, love you, God, hate you, God. They chose to wander around in the desert and not listen to God and not believe God. 
And so maybe he's looking back to that going, you know, I'm just like them. I'm just like these guys. Don't compare yourself with other people when you get in those moments. Comparisons are terrible. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. It says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. It is not wise to compare yourself with other people. It's not wise to allow yourself to be drawn into comparisons with somebody else. You don't know this. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes of their life. You don't know the ins and outs of their existence. You only know yours. You only know yours. Resist comparisons. Comparing yourself with others, according to Paul, is not wise. Compare yourself with others. Worst case scenario, you think you're better than them and you become self-righteous. You're comparing yourself with others and you think you're worse, well, you end up becoming bitter. Because my life's... Why aren't I made like them? Why aren't I there? You know, every time Jesus came across people who wanted to compare themselves, you know what he did? He pointed them to the only measuring rod that really mattered. That was God. Pharisee standing at the temple. Oh, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of these sinners over here. I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. Thank you that I'm not like these tax collectors and prostitutes and all the things. And a tax gatherer comes along and he beats his breast and he goes, God, here I am a sinner. And Jesus says, that man's justified, not that dude over there. He's looking at everybody else comparing himself. This guy's doing the right thing. He's looking at God. He knows who he is. Crowd come past Jesus one day and they've got this woman caught in adultery and they're going to throw stones at her. And they want to kill her. And Jesus stops him. He goes, rightio, well, if you want to talk about the law and compare yourself because you guys are all, you know, want to kill this woman, so here's what I'll do. Forget what she's done, what you've done, what you've done. Let's have a look at what God says. And if any of you can still stand to throw a stone, go for it. And he points them back up to God. One by one, the Bible says they drop their stones and they walk away. Don't compare yourself with other people. It's not going to help you, especially in those emotionally charged moments of life. Resist comparisons. Number six, learn to listen to God. You know, I'm convinced that at those moments, God is speaking to us. The moments when we think God is furthest away are actually, in fact, the moments when he's closest to us. Anybody remember that old poem, Footprints? Remember that? Footprints in the sand. What a beautiful picture, you know? About a person who had a dream. And they said, in the dream, I noticed God in the most difficult moments of my life. I looked in the sand, there's two of us walking. In the most darkest times of my life, I noticed there's only one set of footprints. And they said, God, why did you leave me in those moments? And God says, the footprints you saw were mine. I was actually carrying you at those times. Listen to God. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? So we get all these other things out of whack and we get in such a spin. It's like being in a whirlwind. And we can't quiet ourselves. We can't still ourselves. We can't focus on facts. We don't stay connected. We don't do these things and we don't listen to God. God speaks in those environments when we can calm ourselves, be quiet, listen. God will speak to us. God speaks to us. And God's speaking to you when you go through those moments. We've just got to learn to slow down and listen to God. Learn to listen to what he's saying to us. You know, I said last week, wasn't it a beautiful picture, that when Elijah got up there and he came through, there was an earthquake and God wasn't in the earthquake. And he came through in a windstorm and God was not in the windstorm. came through with fire and God was not in the fire. And then the Bible says there was a still small voice. Why a still small voice? Because that's how close God is to you in those moments. He's so close that he can whisper to you. 
He's so close. He's so intimate with you that he whispers in your ear. He doesn't need to yell. He doesn't need to scream. But we do need to learn to listen. And finally, do what God says. Do what God is saying to do. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in those emotionally charged moments. We find ourselves walking through that valley. You know, sometimes something as simple as apologising can help get you out of that. And if God lays upon your heart and says, humble yourself, own your part, say sorry. Now, maybe God will say, talk about it. Maybe God will say, confront that situation in a loving way. Who knows what God can say in those moments? I don't want to put words in God's mouth. What I want to say to you is that God speaks to you. But when God speaks to us, he has an expectation that we'll do something with it. God doesn't just throw words out and I'm just going to tell you to do this and now you do what you want. Jesus said there was a wise and a foolish builder one day and they both built their house. Both of them built. They both built upon the sand. The Bible says they both heard the words of Jesus. They both built houses. The Bible says they both found themselves in emotionally charged, difficult situations. A storm came and beat upon their house. The Bible says one house stood and one house fell. Which one fell? It says it was the one who heard the words of Jesus and did not do them. Which one stood firm? The one who heard the words of Jesus and went out and did them. So go out there and do what it is that God's calling you to do. 2 Corinthians 1 8 to 10 says this. Paul says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. All kinds of things were going on in Paul's life while he was trying to spread the good news of Jesus and plant churches. He says, We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life itself. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Ultimately, in those moments, as we walk through that valley, God will use whatever situation and circumstance he can in our life for his benefit, to increase our faith, to draw us closer to him, and to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, but this is why, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. God who has delivered us from so great a death. God has got you through dark times in the past. God who does deliver us. God who will get you through the dark times in the future and in whom we trust that he will deliver us still. He's got you through before, he'll get you through now and he'll get you through again. If we just learn to handle those moments in a, 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 a good way, keep ourselves positioned in a place where we enable and empower ourselves and give God every chance that he can to get us through. So really quickly, number one, stay connected. Number two, maintain your life rhythm. Number three, change the lens. Number four, focus on facts. Number five, resist comparison. Number six, listen to God. And number seven, do what God is saying. As I said last week when I, when I shared this, I, I know it scratched a bit of an itch in people, not just here, but I've had other people that... Uh, heard about what we talked about and so on and, and, and it's obviously a, 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 I guess a, a bit of an issue for people this whole idea that we have to be something that we're not and we come to church and we put a mask on and we, it's like going to a masquerade party because we don't want to be honest and we don't want to be real you know I hope and pray as a community as we continue to grow together as a church that if there's anything that marks us it'll be number one love for God but number two will be authenticity with each other 
authenticity. I don't want people sitting here, coming in Sunday, putting on a smiley face, pretending your life's perfect when it's not. I'd rather you connected with somebody, you talk to somebody, you got some prayer. You, 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 you pick right, be wise, pick the right people. Jesus, Jesus had certain groups of people in his life. He had the 70 and then he had a group of 12 that he journeyed with and then he had within that group of 12, three. And those three were more intimate with him and saw a bit more of his world and he opened up a bit more to them. And then he had another young fellow called John who was so close to him that at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, someone's going to betray me, they leant over and they said, oh, it's John Hilmer, because Jesus talks that intimately to John. He'll tell John who it was. So find those people in your life. But I hope and pray that if you are going through a hard time, take some of those points. They're very, very practical, and they're something that you can do, regardless of what your faith level is at. You can do those things and put yourself in a position where God can come through for you and we can begin to walk through that valley of the shadow of death and not build a tent there and not camp there. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for uh, this morning. Lord, I want to thank you, uh, God, for each and every person here in this place. Lord, I pray a blessing upon every believer, God, not just here, but God, those in other churches this morning who are hearing your word, worshipping you this morning, uh, God, uh, praying, God, giving uh, their tithes, their offerings and their service to you, God, giving up their mornings when they could be out doing other things, but we want to gather together in this area and just say we love you, Father. God, I just pray by your spirit, Lord, seal in our hearts anything that you've said to us today. God, don't let us walk out of here and forget it and move on and think, yeah, well, that was good, that was bad, whatever. But God, if you're saying something to any of us here, seal it by your spirit in our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks, two, two weeks, three weeks. But um, I'll be listening to the podcast so I know what's going on and what everyone's talking about and stuff as well. So.